Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader Podcast, where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Nelly Ajimang Giamfi. Nelly is an educational leader who is passionate about unlocking human potential through the provision of quality and effective educational experiences, and has spent the last eight years building and growing programs and educational institutions to enable this. She holds an MA in Applied Developmental and Educational Psychology from Boston College's Lynch School of Education and Human Development. Nellie has spent her career working in different educational contexts with different demographics, ranging from toddlers to company executives. She currently serves as Group Director of Operations at Marinka School, where she provides strategic leadership and oversight of operations, including strategy development and implementation, course quality, innovation and impact, and human resource and financial management. She is particularly excited about the opportunity technology presents for the future of work and is working with Moringa School to build talent and opportunities through transformative tech-based learning experiences. In this episode, Nellie and I spoke about how she developed self-awareness as a leader during her university years, how her efforts towards building a reputation of getting things done positioned her well for promotion opportunities, how transitioning from middle management to upper management required that she begin leading through influence, aligning her personal vision with the vision of the organizations where she's worked, and finally about the trends emerging with developing tech talent and the emergence of a global remote workforce in Africa. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Nelly. Welcome to the Everyday Leader podcast. Really excited to speak with you today. You have so much uh, incredible leadership experience across a number of different uh, well-known organizations. So a welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So I know you now serve as the Group Director of Operations at the Moringa School, but before we dive into what that's all about, I want you to take us back to one of your earliest leadership experiences. Uh, could you tell us uh, what that was like? Were you ready to step up as a leader and how did you feel about it? So uh, the, the first one that I remember, I think, was at African Leadership University in Mauritius, um, I ha we had a quite a small team um, in the admissions department. And I, I remember that I was quite autonomous <laughs> um, in the ways in which I worked as an associate. And I, I remember this one-on-one uh, -on -one I had with my manager <laughs> where she was like, maybe I don't even know like what you're working on half the time. You're just like sort of like, you know, carving your own path, moving forward, getting things done. Um, so when she transitioned out, I think that it was a natural sort of progression to... Um, give me that opportunity to to lead a team, essentially. Um, it was my very first time doing that. So I was leading a team of about two people um, in the admissions team. At the same time, we were expanding from um, Mauritius to Rwanda. So we had this challenge of thinking about how to run admissions for two campuses with the admissions team being based in one country. Um, and I, I think what helped me a lot was the fact that I spent a lot of time sort of observing the managers around me and asking a lot of questions. Um, so I think, um, you know, anybody who knows me knows that I ask a lot of questions um, about why they did the things they, 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 they did, um, why they made certain decisions they made, why they reacted in certain ways to certain things. Um, and I think that that served me well um, when I got onto the team. So it was... Um, I'd call it like a fairly easy transition um, because at that point in time, I'd already sort of talked to people, understood more about the kind of manager that I wanted to be or the kind of um, you know, influence I wanted to have in a team, um, in a position of leadership. Obviously, um, you know, once the rubber hits the road, 
you learn things as you come along um, and there's definitely like a growing experience. Um, but I'd say that um, first, first experience managing the admissions team at ALU, thing that helped me the most was um, sort of all of the pre-work I, I was doing unintentionally, so to speak. So it sounds like you really kind of stepped into your own and, and started to adjust your leadership style at your time in Mauritius with the African Leadership University. I'm curious, uh, we, we went to college uh, in the same state out in California in the U.S., and you, you also uh, did your master's at Boston College. How did that uh, kind of academic um, experience then shape how you were stepping into the professional world and, and the professional kind of leadership capacity that you're describing at the African Leadership University? Um, yeah, so I think one of the things that I did, I did a lot um, when I was in college and in grad school was take on a lot of opportunities outside of school. Um, I think many people who are in college do that, um, but I think I was a lot more intentional about the sorts of opportunities that I wanted. Um, so I remember I started out, um, you know, working in a bio lab, but eventually got in interested in student life. So I applied to be um, um, at Pomona College. We have something called sponsors, um, where you, you have a group of freshmen that you essentially take care of. Um, then applied to be a head sponsor. Um, and then moved on to the admissions department at Pomona um, as, a, as an interviewer, um, helping them uh, decide on who the next, the next um, class of people would be. I think what helped me a lot um, during those phases was that we, we went through quite a number of training processes. And I think that especially with the RE, um, um, head sponsor um, um, training, because I had to go through it twice because I've done it like two years in a row. Um, a lot of focus on and emphasis on sort of like um, leadership, understanding people, um, you know, all of the dynamics of, of what it means to, to lead a, a multicultural group um, of people. And I think that, that that really served me well when I got into the professional, the, the professional space. Um, I think what it did was I gave me a greater awareness of myself and how I showed up and how that interacted with sort of like the other people that I was working with, right? Um, also, um, you know, teaching the, the, the usual skills, right? Like, you know, um, thinking about things like how to manage time, how to be accountable to somebody else, um, you know, thinking about people up, up the totem pole and also um, sort of below you on the totem pole and then how you interact with, with those people. Um, I remember that when I was a head sponsor, I had a group of sponsors that were that were working um, with me, and we were actually um, they put they they put me in charge of the largest freshman dorm <laughs> um, at Pomona. So I had a team of about um, was it at least ten sponsors that were working with me on the different floors um, um, in the in the building, um, and I think for me that was sort of um, you know out outside of not professionally, but, you know, um, in school, the first sort of leadership experience I had and trying to sort of like feel my way around things, um, um, around how I wanted to manage these people, what I wanted them to get out of the experience. Um, and I think that one of the things that I also found was that personal values play a lot into it. So I think as I've grown in leadership, one of the things that I have learned is that, um, yes, a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, 
the technical skills, like technical ex expense, whatnot, but a lot of it is really around like the self and self-awareness and being cognizant of what values, what principles that you are bringing into the, the role, into the position, um, those, the values and the principles that inform the people that, that you, um, the ways in which you're interacting with the people that you, you, you're managing, right? Um, and I think that for me, that was a, a light bulb moment um, um, in college through that experience that has sort of carried me through um, uh, my, my professional life um, when it comes to leadership. Yeah, I bet. I mean, uh, the experiences where you're needing to manage uh, what you might see as peers and then even kind of try to oversee other peers, especially um, freshman students, uh, can, can probably be quite a handful and, and uh, be a huge learning lesson. You also mentioned at ALU, uh, you had your first kind of supervisor or manager, and when they um, transitioned out, you kind of stepped into a, a new role. And I found it quite interesting in my own experience where I certainly have autonomy, but I have a manager and I, without knowing it, essentially, you know, my rhythms, my style is definitely influenced by that manager. And then when they leave, you see, okay, what remains in <laughs> Uh, changes. And it was interesting that you um, remember back a few years and, and you can, you can still think about, um, about that. Do you, do you remember certain things that you, that stuck with you after that manager left that you continued on because you thought it was maybe um, a best practice? Um, yes. Uh, so the funny thing about, um, uh, the, the relationship I had with my manager then. Um, so I, obviously I wasn't on the back end of the hiring process, but so one of the things that, um, you know, people told me after I'd been hired and I'd signed the contract and arrived in Mauritius was that she was super excited when she met me because we were so similar. Um, so after, after the first call, and I think, um, you know, when it came to things around like being detail oriented, um, you know, digging, digging deep into the weeds, wanting to understand exactly what is happening. Um, so I think um, in that in that sense, we were already quite similar coming in. Um, I think the thing that I took most from here, um, thinking back in, into the way her name was Nicola, by the way, um, the way the way Nicola worked was um, she was very results focused. Um, so apart from getting into the weeds, she was very results results focus so she was a kind of manager who you wouldn't necessarily hear her like at the forefront of things making um you know a lot of announcements making a lot of noise making a lot of waves but she got she got things done right um there was no task that you would give her that she wouldn't she wouldn't deliver on and i think i i learned from that and so i've sort of adopted that same man management style where i I sort of lead from behind, so to speak. Um, so not very much at the forefront. Um, you don't hear hear my voice about, but um, anything that needs to get done gets done. Um, and I think that was a reputation that that has served me well um, in, in in my career. And I think has also informed sort of my leadership style as I've moved from place to place, where um, I push back against this idea of um, you know. The people with the title should be the ones sitting on panels. The people with the title should be the ones in conferences. No, um, I want the people who are on the ground. If if it's about you know tech education, pick somebody in the classroom to go sit down with the other CEOs and chat because they are the experts. They are the ones who are at the forefront. And how do you create and make space for other people 
um, to to also sort of like develop that. Well, so you spent uh, three years, uh, over three years at uh, the African Leadership University uh, in several different roles. And then you moved on to Marinka School, where you uh, still work. Uh, you've held four roles over the past uh, close to four years. Can you tell us more about what Moringa School is all about and, and how your career has progressed there? Yes. Um, so uh, Moringa School is a learning accelerator. Um, so what we do is that we um, create transformative tech-based experiences uh, using market-aligned curriculum. Um, our goal is to... Um, you know, help solve the unemployment um, issues in Africa, um, specifically um, taking advantage of technology. Um, currently, we have uh, B2C classes in uh, software development and data science, and we also um, do corporate training. Um, these can be a bit more bespoke. Um, um, so apart from um, software development and data science, we can also design courses um, specific to what the corporation needs. So for example, for Safaricom, we designed um, a number of courses for them, um, you know, robotic process automation, um, DevOps, um, and we, we, we teach you those courses. Um, I think one of the key things for us is um, our graduates being able to provide value to the workplace um, from day one. Um, so in the ways in which we've crafted our learning experience, um, we've crafted it such that it mimics what you, you find in an everyday work environment. Um, so for example, you go into a tech team, you have stand-ups every morning, that same rhythm you see in our classrooms. Um, and we also place a lot of emphasis on practice. Um, so every week students are, are working on independent projects uh, based on what we've taught them that week, which means that by the time they graduate, they have a portfolio of work. Um, that makes them um, you know, more employable once they get into the job market. And um, we've been able to get um, you know, uh, 80% of grads into jobs within six to 12 months of graduation. Um, so that's definitely something that we are super proud of. Um, about my journey at Moringa School, um, so I started off as the Access Program Manager. The Access Program is a scholarship program that we created for students from low-income backgrounds. Um, we have a big, hairy, audacious goal of 200,000 mortgage workers um, in Africa. So, um, you know, Access, access to education was something that was quite huge um, and still is actually on our radar. Um, and it was also something that was personally important to me because through my work at ALU, I'd realized that there were a lot of um, bright students that we admitted that could not enroll um, simply because of finances. Um, so when the opportunity came to um, be a part of the solution, I sort of jumped on board. Um, I think that a lot of the things that I've learned at ALU served me well, um, especially in terms of learning how, how learning on the job. Um, so going from a space of not knowing anything about something to educating myself and then educating others um, so that we can we can do something about it. And so we were able to grow the access team, um, you know, um, do the necessary research, whatnot, design the team. Um, <clears throat> design the team, design the processes, the program, the systems, and we saw quite good results um, um, from that. Um, I like to say that um, the organization liked what I did, and so um, ended up promoting me to um, deputy country director, and there it was again baptism by fire, and again, um, you know, a similar thread all through um, being able to get yourself from knowing nothing to knowing something and being able to apply it to get results um, was quite huge. Um, 
the the story I always tell is that um, we so I got into the position a couple of months later. Um, my the the then country director goes on maternity leave, <laughs> which was um, a little bit unexpected. So she went a, a little bit earlier than planned because the baby was coming. Um, not to say that I was I, I I didn't have people that I could you know sort of um, receive coaching from. Um, you know um, I think our CEO at the time uh, Meredith was very helpful in that um, because the truth was that I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but it was one of those things. I, I always remember this thing from uh, um, an interview from Richard Branson, um, uh, founder of Virgin, where he says, like, say yes and then figure out how to do it later. Um, so I borrowed, I borrowed a bit from that in, in my career journey at Moringa School. Um, so a lot of learning, learning while doing. Um, and we were able to sort of, and at the same time, too, was the COVID night. That's when COVID hit. Um, so you can just imagine, use the rule, trying to learn the rules global pandemic <laughs> disrupting everything in its path. Um, so I call it I call it my period of baptism by fire. <laughs> um, but we 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 made it through some pretty tough, tough um, um, times. Um, you know, having to retrench some 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 employees, uh, uh, thinking about how to keep the company afloat um, during during the pandemic. Um, and then made it through to 2021, um, where again, um, you know, was was then um, promoted to country director when the the country director moved on to to other pursuits, um, and they're very similar work because essentially as a deputy, what I was doing was essentially taking on some of her tasks. So it was um, you know a natural progression to to expanding um, uh, from like you know handling four departments to the rest of them, um, and then we sort of restructured the organization again um, because of um, the opportunities that the pandemic had brought um, around remote learning. And so we realized that we didn't necessarily need the country offices structure. Um, and so moved into a, a sort of director of operations role um, for whichever campuses that Moringa would open across Africa. Definitely sounds like there was uh, a lot of learning over the past four years. And similarly, I was kind of thrown into different leadership roles. Part of it is, you know, being there at the right time at the right place. And yeah. Uh, being a part of an organization that uh, needs leaders to step up. And it sounds like you were there and you made the most of it. Uh, I'd love to hear maybe some examples of certain uh, mistakes that you made early on, maybe as that deputy director uh, and those that uh, you kind of uh, got now hard hardwired in. Uh, <laughs> Um, is there anything hard-minded? I don't think so. But um, like, um, one of the things that I can share, I think early on, um, I think moving from middle management to to upper management was was quite a, a journey for me personally, because um, you you move from a space where you have more direct control over what is happening in in like a specific department um, into a space where you actually have to influence other people who are experts right um in what they, they do so for example i was handling um you know business development space and facilities um you know classroom um marketing admissions i'm not an expert in all of these things um <laughs> i have i have some generalized knowledge of 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 of, of some if not most but a lot of it has to do with um, leading through influence um and i think that 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 sort of uh, jump um, was something that I had to work on quite well. And I, I, I do have to give a shout out to um, 
you know, the country director at the time when I was making that transition, because she did mention that that's going to be the hardest thing um, that you're going to have to learn how to do. You're going to have to learn how to focus on outcomes and not process. Um, because when you're a middle manager, you, you focus very much on this is how I'd like things to go. Um, when you get to upper management, you're dealing with a group of experts who already know how they want to do things. So you, you focus more on, okay, is this going to get me where I need to go, even if it's not exactly how I would have done it? And I think one of the, the mistakes that I made quite early on was in sort of like navigating that space. Um, I remember that there was, there was uh, once a conversation that we were having with the marketing team around student financing. And um, we'd been going back and forth on it for quite a while. Um, and and it, it got to the point where, I mean, personally for me, I felt like, okay, guys, we just need to move forward with this. Um, let's, let's make sure that we are advertising. Let's make sure that people know that we do have financing options available. Um, and they had concerns about, you know, how it would affect, um, you know, students that would come in fully self-sponsored, um, how to go about it. So they were sort of like hedging their, their bets on it. Um, and I remember that in the meeting, like after an hour of back and forth, I, I just went like, look, guys, this is happening. Go forth and then let it happen. Um, the great thing about it was that um, I'd, I'd built the sort of relationship with the team where they, they it's, it's very open. They could give me feedback. And I think the feedback that I got was, um, you know, we feel like you are not listening to us. Um, you know, we, we, we do this, like, you know, marketing for a living, XXX. Um, and so had to go into this uh, period where essentially had to call a team meeting and actually just sit down and just hear feedback from them as to how they would like to be essentially managed um, on, on, on areas where probably my, my ideas of how things should go are very different from theirs. Um, so I'd say that that, that was um, one of the very first mistakes um, that I made, I think, reflecting on it. Um, and I think it's still a learning journey. I wouldn't say that I'm exactly perfect at it, but I think what I've learned is um, how to regulate myself um, when, when I want to be more, um, I don't know what the word is, authoritative around how things should go. Um, and trying to, to, to figure out that balance of um, influence versus like accountability, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've definitely found myself in similar situations where as a leader, you, you know, some leaders at least have a bias towards action and you also want to be seen as, as decisive and you maybe can, can tell yourself that you have a broader perspective and you're ultimately accountable and so can make that decision. But then if it's uh, coming off, as you said, as uh, giving the impression that you're not listening to uh, kind of subject matter experts on your team, um, that can definitely lead to long-term uh, negative impacts. Um, and so it sounds like that you, you know, were self-aware of that uh, even right afterwards and, and were able to uh, give them additional time to hear them out and, and try to find a way forward. But it's it's always a a struggle in terms of finding that balance because you also don't want to, you know, be um, paralyzed in, in trying to make decisions. Exactly. <laughs> uh, you also don't want to be a democracy and have everyone come to a compromise because often compromises are not great products. So I definitely hear you on that. And that's definitely something as leaders, we continue, I have to continue to uh, be mindful of.
So I want to hear more about this uh, switch to, you mentioned uh, you were the Kenya country director and then with a shift to um, more remote learning first uh, approach from Moringa School, you now are the group director of operations across um, um, all or some of the, the markets. So how does that change uh, your kind of day-to-day role and mandate as a leader? Maybe let me give some some background and some context. Um, so Moringa has primarily been operating in um, through from Nairobi. Um, we've done short stints in international markets like Pakistan, Hong Kong, um, Ghana, Uganda. But this is sort of our first time taking a long-term foray into um, a, a, a market other than the Kenyan market. Um, so we decided to start with Ghana. Um, so we, we just launched um, in partnership uh, with, with um, a number of organizations in Ghana, um, earlier on this year um, in February. Um, so it's still quite nascent and we're still trying to figure ourselves ourselves out. I think that also um, launching to a partnership model um, in itself uh, comes with its own sort of learnings. Um, but uh, the, I think the ways in which things have changed, um, I would say is that I, I need to give more, I find myself doing more delegation of the business as usual in Kenya because we've been running it for about you know six seven years now um, people should pretty much know what they need so I'm only coming in when there are like serious fires to um, handle um, and turning a lot a lot more of my attention towards um, the the building up of the of the new campus um, um, or cohort in Ghana um, and I think for that um, it's, it's a bit of like a startup y thing where you're finding yourself um, digging deeper now into execution because when you when you when you kind of come into upper management a lot of your time is spent on strategic thinking and, and strategy and whatnot um, but with the with the with the expansion into a new market you you're back in the weeds right you, you're the one making partnership calls you're the one um, you know Sitting, sitting down, trying to to convince people um, um, to want to partner with you, that sort of thing. Whilst in the more established markets, you do that through a business development manager and a business development team. Um, so it's it's. I feel like it's it's a bit of like um, self rediscovery and trying to figure out that balance and that hat between the strategic and the execution. Um, because in one market you are playing both roles, and in another market it's very clear where your your um, domain lies, if, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so it's, I'd say that it's, it's trying to straddle, straddle those two things and, and, and being able to code switch like the mindsets as and when things come up, um, depending on what you are focusing on. You are from Ghana. How is it, um, having this company that you have been working for in Kenya now, uh, go into your original, uh, home? Uh, what 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 elements have come up there? Have you gone back to Ghana, um, and and how are you helping kind of maybe bridge that culture gap? Uh, yeah. So yes, um, I actually spent the majority of Q one in Ghana. I just came to Kenya um, um, a couple like a month or so ago. Um, came back to Nairobi a month or so ago. Um, I mean, it's exciting. Um, I think um, you know we've reached a point at Moringa School where um 
we've partnered with um, a U.S. Uh, one of the top boot camps in the U.S. Uh, Flatiron School. Um, so we are overhauling our curriculum in Kenya, and then um, that's the same curriculum we're taking to Ghana. And I think for me, it's pretty exciting um, as a Ghanaian to be able to bring a world-class education to. Um, you know, my country of birth. Um, you know, the fact that the, the curriculum is recognized by Harvard, Harvard gives credit for it, that sort of thing, and to be able to know that um, the people that come out of this curriculum are, are, are able to compete on a global scale um, is something that's quite huge for me. Um, so there's definitely like a lot of excitement around it. And I, I, I do have like a personal stake in it to make sure that, you know, um, my country does not disgrace me. <laughs> so they have to. Um, you know, they it has to work. Um, so um, a lot of the time, a lot of the supports that I play um, um, in Ghana, obviously being the person on the ground, um, is specifically around partnerships. Um, because we knew, a lot of people don't know about us. I mean, we, we have a great reputation in, in Kenya, but in West Africa, we're relatively new. Um, so a lot of like reaching out to, um, you know, universities, reaching out to other other people in the tech ecosystem, trying to understand more about how the, the tech ecosystem is, is different in Ghana versus Kenya, what that means for the way, ways in which we approach um, um, the entry into the Ghana market, um, looking at people who could partner with us in terms of like lead, lead generation, in terms of um, giving jobs or internships to our alumni, um, that sort of thing. So that has been sort of like a lot of the groundwork that we've been doing so far. Um, yeah, so we've, we've got quite quite a lot of traction. Um, we've, we've partnered with a number of people and now we are also expanding into the Nigerian market. Um, so beginning to speak to potential partners there. Um, we're going to be running our first cohort in um, starting the 4th of April um, in Ghana. And then we have um, three more cohorts planned um, in international markets uh, um, for the rest of the year. So very exciting things coming up. Um, but yes, um, something that, that that's it's very, very close to home. I'm personally, very personally invested in this. Definitely. Um, and, and circling back to you as a leader, so you reflected earlier on how you had to adjust uh, towards you know, this country director and now uh, global director uh, or group director role where you were needing to kind of lead through uh, the experts that were on your your teams. Um, looking forward, how are you continuing to develop yourself as a leader? And what are the, some of the things that you uh, are hoping to uh, build in terms of skills or, or uh, other areas that you're uh, grappling with at the moment? Yeah. Um... I think when, when I think about it, there are three, three I think, key areas um, that I'm looking to double down on this year. Um, the first one is the balance between empathy and accountability. So I think, um, you know, my management philosophy um, is based on the belief that all humans want to realize their full potential. They want to do their best. Nobody wants to come to work and not have anything to show for it. And the key to this is sort of like creating the right environment that acknowledges them as human beings, but at the same time to hold them accountable and challenges them to do more than we think that they can do. Um, and I think that there's always sort of like this tension between empathy and accountability. And I, I don't think that it's something that I've figured out totally um, yet. So it's definitely something that I, I want to continue to, to grapple with. Um, the second big bucket of things is around culture. 
Um, so here, as I mentioned, like Moringa is growing very rapidly. We're moving, um, you know, across um, um, state lines, so to speak. Um, so moving to different countries. Um, and I think that one of the hardest things to do um, for any organization is replication of culture. Um, so how to, to build the right culture, how to set the right foundation, how to grow that culture um, is something that, that's going to be quite key. Um, as we think about setting operations, setting up operations in, in different um, um, countries, especially um, coming using a remote first model um, for that. Um, and then I think that the third thing, um, which experts are telling me is not that big a deal, but I think it's a big deal. So I'm still going to focus on it is, um, is um, growing sort of like more of my technical expertise in operations, right? Um, I, I do think that learning on the job is about 70% of what you need, um, but I, I don't want to do away with like that 20, 30% of, um, you know, formal, formal training that you need. And I think that there's been a lot of like growth and learning that has just come from, you know, being put into projects. Um, I, I think as you mentioned, being thrown into things, figuring your way out of it, you pick things up. But I think um, being able to have that more sort of like technical knowledge around operations, um, you know, different frameworks and things like that um, um, should help make the job easier. Um, so not, not, not necessarily that I'm, I'm, I'm going back to school to go and do an MBA this year, but at least to start taking advantage of the resources around like LinkedIn learning etc to take a couple of courses around those so i'd say that for professional development those would be the three big things that i'm focused on amazing and when you think about that kind of tactical expertise and operations does that include specific types of like software uh or or other tools uh that are helpful for the job that you do and if so are there specific types of tools that you have found most helpful or are most excited to uh, master a bit more? To be quite honest, right now, I'm sort of open to, to whatever um, um, can be learned. We have invested a lot in technology um, over the past year and a half, two years um, at Moringa School. So I think that we, we are sort of like on the right track when it comes to the tools that enable us to, to sort of operate the campus. Um, I think specifically we, we dug very deep into Salesforce um, as sort of the, the bedrock of everything that we do across the student journey um, and we built specific specific things on it. Um, are there other tools out there potentially? Um, but I'd say that for, I've, I've sort of carried Salesforce with me, um, you know, from ALU to Moringa. I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's quite a good, a good tool um, and has served me well when it comes to knowing what is going on on the campus, um, knowing what the metrics are, are seeing. Um, and, and coming up with, with uh, potential pivots um, or strategies to deal with uh, some of the areas in which we are, we are performing below, below optimum. Um, so I, I'm not necessarily focusing it a lot on uh, tools or software or tech or anything of the sort, but more um, general strategic knowledge, so to speak, on, on how to approach things. Amazing. And you mentioned earlier um, this concept of helping people achieve their full potential, which really um, uh, struck a chord uh, since it's so powerful. And it got me thinking uh, to the varying degrees in which individuals and leaders, essentially after working at, at an organization for several years, they really both 
consciously and subconsciously align their personal mission with the mission of, of that organization. And um, I'm wondering if you could reflect a little bit more on that in terms of how you make sure that um, both the mission of the organization is aligned with, with your mission and that you're able to also influence that mission to make it aligned with your own personal beliefs and, and career goals. I think the first one is, is um, what I'd say is that I've, I've always, I've always been, been interested in the development of human potentials, which um, formed, was a big part of why I decided to go into education in the first place. Um, I'm also not necessarily a very traditional person. Um, so if you look at the kinds of organizations I've worked at, like ALU, Moringa School, these are non-traditional um, edu edu educational institutions, right? Who think about education in a different way, are very innovative, cutting edge at, at the forefront, are willing to risk things, challenge the status quo. Um, so in that sense, I'd say that I've been, I've been quite um, lucky. Well, not lucky, because I, I think that I chose them because of that, right? Um, one of the things that I always say is like nobody's forcing you to sign a contract, right? If 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 an, an interview is as much you know them interviewing you as you interviewing them, and if what you're hearing does not align with, with with you know your principles, your beliefs, your values, you have every right to walk away from from a job offer. Um, I think that the secondary one um, around like when you get into the, the the organization or the work environment and then there are certain things that, you know, you feel very strongly about, how do you influence them to actually, um, you know, come come into line with what, what you know or believe to be true? Um, I think that... It, that it's, it's, it's a win-lose situation. Sometimes sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, I think in cases that it doesn't, um, you uh, disagree and commit because the hope is that you are bought into sort of like the larger vision of what the organization is doing. Um, and there are different roads to roam. And while you may not necessarily agree with that specific road, um, you know, as long as we are still heading towards Rome, um, we, we should be okay being in the same in the same track or van or plane or whatever it may be. Um, in terms of the ones that you win, I think that what I've found, um, and maybe I can give an example. So when I first came into um, Moringa, we were very much focused on the academics. Um, so a lot around um, the technical training, the technical upskilling of the student um, and, you know, any sort of like student supports um, um, services are also handled by the teachers, um, which had been working so far, but then as you begin to scale and as you begin to sort of bring in, um, you know, people from different backgrounds who have different stories, different things that were going on with them, there was a need to invest more in sort of like the holistic student experience um, and build in, um, you know, student support functions. Um, and I think one of the ways in which it was quite easy to bring that um, to the attention of, of upper management and social gets buying into it is really around like the metrics, right? One of the things I've learned is you need to be able to speak the language of the decision makers, right? Um, so um, an example, an example I always give people is if you have um, you know somebody in upper management who's very much about the numbers um, and wants to see trends and whatnot, right? For you, yes, it's about, oh my gosh, like these students have, you know, so many great skills. They are talking, they are presenting to their, um, you know, what do you call it, their classmates about, you know, this, 
ukulele thing that they are playing and they've asked me about if we have music clubs and all of these things and it would be really great if we do it for them right now that's great but that's not what's going to sway this decision maker right so now you, you need to start coming up with the numbers right um focus group service, what are students saying? How is this affecting our retention rates? Um, for the students that are dropping out, do we find that the lack of student support services is, is one of the main reasons why they are doing so? And being able to gather all of that evidence and being able to present it in a way that people will hear what you are trying to see, um, I think is what, is what, is what has helped um, in those areas where they have been wins and sort of bringing the organization more towards like my way of thinking around things. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely a journey. And um, now that you are in one of the senior roles, then uh, you're closer to those decision makers. You are one of those decision makers and um, you're able to kind of pass on that uh, great advice on how to kind of make the business case um, for uh, certain types of program design decisions. Um, just as we wrap up, I'd, I'd love to hear if you have any um trends that you would want to share uh, that you've noticed either in, in the future of work or education or the kind of uh, uh, alternative education spaces that you that you operate in yeah um it's <laughs> actually a funny a funny thing that's been happening i think since covid we've been seeing this happen a lot more um, especially for the continent so you find that there are a lot of um individuals who are, um, you know, in Kenya or in Ghana or wherever they may be, um, working for companies based in the West. Um, and I, I, I think that we are not paying enough attention to it. Um, I think that in technology, it's something that's coming up um, because we've seen that, you know, we have a lot of international companies um, essentially a lot of our, our mid to senior level tech talent are more interested in working for um, you know international companies mainly because of the compensation um, and the local companies not being able to compete with said compensation um, which then means that um, you know you have to rely a lot on junior talent and so um, you know, one of the things that Moringa is trying to start is a managed internship program um, to promote more investment in junior talent on the continent um, and I think that while this is a good stopgap measure, um, we, I, I think the broader conversation needs to be around looking at how we build strong enough economies on the African continent to keep the talents that we have so that they can compete on a global scale. Um, because as I mentioned, this isn't something that's happening in tech, right? It's happening in non-technical fields. Um, right now, what's, what the pandemic has shown is that anybody can be anywhere working. Right, I can work from home. I, all I need is a, it's, it's a good enough internet connection and a computer, and I can do anything. Um, so I think that the conversation is starting in tech, but um, we need to look at it more broadly. The globalization of work uh, through remote opportunities. Um, I do have some concerns about what that means for for African um, um, uh, markets and the ability to compete, especially compensation-wise. Um, and, and the draw of like good talent um, to to sort of more opportunities that are in, uh, abroad um, rather than at home um, would would be the trend that I'd see say I'm seeing um, that's probably we are not talking about enough. It's definitely a trend to uh, look out for. Uh, I've noticed it myself too. I'll, uh, as we're building out our peer coaching network with Coffee Chat, I often reach out to people, and I, I'm I keep seeing people who are working for companies and I think, oh, maybe they have a branch uh, somewhere in Africa 
but no, no. <laughs> they're a complete remote worker, which is perfectly fine. Uh, but it does uh, kind of bring up some of the um, challenges and opportunities that you mentioned. So um, definitely something to think about and be aware of and, and build teams and, and uh, infrastructure around. So thank you so much for sharing that, Nelly. And thank you so much for uh, reflecting and, and telling us uh, about your leadership journey from ALU all the way to Moringa School. Uh, what you what you and the team are doing at Moringa School is really inspiring and, and happy to hear that you have now been able to bring that back to Ghana, um, your country at birth, and wishing you all the best in that uh, launch next month. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Absolutely.